Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 23 as we continue in our series in the book of Exodus, Free at Last. We're going to be reading this morning verses 20 to 33 of Exodus chapter 23. So listen to the word of the Lord. Behold, I sent an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, I, and I block them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve, serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land, and I will fulfill the number of your days." I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. I will, dry, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness of, uh, to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the, land, of, the, of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me, for if you serve their gods it will surely be a snare to you. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, as we come before you this morning, we do pray, all of us, that as we sit under the authority of your Word, you would do that work in us through Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, that you would conform us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be more like him. We pray and ask this in his mighty name. Amen. This world, in its current form, is not our home. The Scriptures, in fact, point us toward the truth of a coming renewal of the heavens and the earth, a renewal that will transform this world into a place for God and His people to dwell. This is the testimony of passages like Isaiah 65, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, be, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Or Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, 
and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the destiny of the world, that it will be a dwelling place for God and for his people. And so this promise in the old covenant to give his people a place, to give Israel a land, a land where they would dwell with their God and be a light to the nations around them, is a small picture of the future that God has for all those who are now bound to him through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are indeed, brothers and sisters, now headed toward a place, a place seen by our forefather Abraham, of whom it was said in Hebrews, for he was looking forward to that city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I know the world is broken. I know it is filled with violence. I know that disease and disaster and death are found in so many spaces of this current world, but that is not its destiny, and it's not ours. God has prepared a place for those who love Him, and that place is this world renewed, this world transformed from its bondage to decay through our liberation by the blood of Jesus shed for our sins. God's covenant with us, brothers and sisters, includes, therefore, a place where God will dwell with those who love Him. And that is what we see in the conclusion of the covenant code uh, that began in Exodus chapter 19 as God laid out for His people what it would mean for them to live before Him and with each other and in the land and among the nations. God's desire is to dwell with His people, and Jesus has fulfilled that desire. For in Him, God has been brought near to us, and uh, through the Spirit, we will dwell with Him in a world filled with His blessing. And so, God was promising Israel here that the land He had promised to give to Abraham and his descendants would indeed be theirs, that He would bring them safely into the land that He promised to their forefathers, to be a place where He would dwell with His people. And the call for them was faith, to believe God to the point where they would obey God's Word and live as God called them to in the land He was giving to them. And it's the same call that our Lord now makes to us. It is what I told, is what I told you last week in quoting the Lord Jesus who says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my Word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Faith indeed without works is dead. The faith that brings us into the blessings of God is the faith that does what the Lord says. The devils believe and tremble, but they do not do what God says. But we who have the Spirit of God in us are called to a faith that obeys in order that we might enter into the promises of God, promises that end in our inheriting a world and a kingdom that cannot be shaken where we will dwell with God, and God will dwell with us for all eternity. So how does that promise of a place with God come to fulfillment? I want to lay three things before you this morning from this text. And the first is this, God's presence. God's presence. 
In these verses, God promises the people of Israel, as they are traveling toward the promised land, that he will send his angel to be a guard and a guide and a warrior on behalf of his people. And the way the angel is described in terms of his actions makes it clear that he is in some way a manifestation of the Lord himself. He is to be obeyed unconditionally. He has the power to pardon sins. God's name is not just on him, but in him. And he will bring the Israelites to the promised land. In other places, uh, the angel of the Lord is closely identified with God, such uh, as uh, his encounter with Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. Abraham on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22, with Jacob in Genesis uh, 31, and with Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Commentators have debated the identity of this messenger, this, uh, this angel, yet where, wherever we land, whether we think him to be an angelic being or manifestation of God himself or the pre-incarnate Christ, one thing is for certain in the text before us, this messenger's presence this angel's presence is nothing less than the presence of God with his people. And this is the thrust of verses 20 to 23. Through his messenger, God will accomplish his promise of being with his people to guard them, to guide them, to uh, grant success to them on their journey and in the place that he has prepared for them. The promise of making it to the promised land, of success in battle with their enemies, of, of taking possession of the land of promise is all rooted in the presence of God with His people. Unless the people get it twisted, God ensures them that His guarding them, His going before them, his bringing them safely to their destination and his fighting against the people of the land is the only reason that they will have success. His presence through his messenger is the key to their taking possession of the place he has prepared for them, the place where he will dwell with them. And I got news for us this morning, the, the, the inheritors of the new covenant, the inheritors of a world to come where righteousness will dwell. The only way we will make it to that glorious place is that God has, that God has prepared for us is through the presence of God with us. Indeed, God has sent his final messenger messengers who, who, whose identity is not in doubt. We don't have to debate about this messenger for his identity is not shrouded in mystery for, as the writer of Colossians declares, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And what, what, what is his promise to us, to us who like Abraham are looking to that city whose builder and maker, and God, make, maker is God? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house or many rooms, if it were not so. Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. We too, what I'm saying, people of God, are on a journey toward a place. And that place is the transformed heavens and the earth. The promise of God to his people on this journey is this, to guard us to guide us, to fight for us along this journey as we trust in His Son. Yes, we will face tribulation. Yes, we will be accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. Yes, we will travel figuratively through water and rivers and fire, but this is Jesus' promise, I will come again. 
and I will bring you to myself. Bring you to the place I have prepared for you, that where I am, there you may be also. What the world is today is not what it will be when Jesus returns. What we are is not what we will be when he returns. God's presence with us to bring us to his promised land is that guarantee. And so like Israel, as we journey toward that ultimate land of promise, a world transformed and renewed to be the place where God dwells with his people, we too can have confidence that his presence will be with us to guard us, to guide us, to give victory along the way. And what that means for us, people of God, is it means trusting God's presence to the point where we are obedient to him along the journey. If God is with us, then we can live faithfully toward him doing those things that he calls us to do. We don't have to be afraid that our enemy is spiritual or human, be, uh, of, our, of our enemy spiritual or human because God promises to fight for us along the way. We don't have to be afraid that we won't know where we are going or what to do because God promises to give us wisdom and direction along the way. We don't have to be afraid to do what looks foolish in the eyes of the world because we know that the wisdom of God is stronger than the wisdom of men. And so, where, 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 where are we being called? Where are you being called? Where are we being called to trust His presence right now, to live faithfully toward Him because we know He is there with us? For Israel, it would mean purging the land of its evil influences, of its idolatry and the sins that accompany it. And while we're not called to war, to any form of violence, we too are called to purge evil from our lives, individually and corporately. And we do this both by exposing sin and by walking alongside each other in love, seeking renewal and reconciliation where possible. Christians who trust God's presence with them are freed up not to hide sin, but to expose it, and through the means that the Lord has laid out for us to address it and purge it from our midst. This is actually the context in which Jesus' promise in Matthew 18 is set, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I will be with you to help you deal with sin, purge evil from your life individually, and purge evil from your lives corporately. My presence with you means you will have the power and the ability to deal with that sin and evil that is in your midst. In the same way Israel was called to purge the evil from the land that God was giving them, so we are called to purge it from our own lives and to purge it from our corporate community. Amen, people of God. So, as we travel along the journey toward the promised land, the ultimate promised land, God's presence will be with us just like it was with God's people as they journeyed toward the land of promise that he had laid out for them. But what we are also promised, what we also see in this text, what we also promise is God's provision along the journey toward that place. The issue of idolatry uh, comes up again here in this text, reminding us of, of just how pervasive an enemy it really is in this world and in the lives of God's people. And so God says to his people as they, are, as, they are, as they are journeying toward the land, when my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I block them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. 
You shall serve the Lord your God, and He will bless your bread and water. And I will take away sickness from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. The Lord knew that once uh, Israel gained possession of the land, one of her chief concerns would be uh, her personal fruitfulness as well as the fruitfulness of the land. And since their flourishing from a human standpoint would depend on having children and the land bearing fruit uh, that is producing food and economic benefits to them, the temptation would be to follow the pattern of the nations. You see, the nations believe that fruitfulness came from their sacrifices to the gods. And there were gods for almost every aspect of life and every aspect of the agricultural process, gods that promised fertility and blessing and protection and favor and the like. And since the land God was giving them was already flowing with milk and honey, the temptation would be to believe that that reality of blessing, of flourishing, came from the practices of the people of the land. The temptation would be to think that all they had to do was follow the same idolatrous practices and the land would continue to bear fruit for them as well. But God warns them that participating in idolatry will not save them nor cause them to be fruitful. Rather, it will lead to their destruction because the gods of the nations are not gods at all. In fact, he tells them at the end in verse 33, they shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. It will not be a blessing to you. It will not make you fruitful. In point of fact, it will be destructive for you. All belief in idolatry, all that belief in idolatry really does is turn human beings into godless, cruel, and ultimately destructive beings. The peoples of the land were, in point of fact, people being displaced by God for this very reason. They had become so corrupt that even the destruction of their own children, sacrificing them in worship of idols, was not only permitted but encouraged. Thus, Israel was to remain committed to God alone, and there was, a, there was reason for this singular commitment to God. What is it, Pastor? Our God is the true source of all of our fruitfulness and all our provision and all of our healing and all of our good comes from the hand of the Lord and from no one else. Our fruitfulness is in the hands of God ultimately and not in our own hands, nor in the hands of our imaginary gods. Our Lord, our Lord Jesus was not tricked by the ultimate false god of this world when He offered Him the opportunity to turn stones into bread, reminding the devil that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. My nourishment comes from the Lord. My healing comes from the Lord. My clothing comes from the Lord. My shelter comes from the Lord. Everything I have comes from the Lord. So, as we journey toward that ultimate promise land, God promises to care for us, telling us through the Lord Jesus Christ, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things that the nations turn to false gods to deliver, it will be granted to you. So, people of God, you don't have to worship greed. You don't have to worship money. You don't have to worship power. 
You don't have to worship privilege and the like to be fruitful in this world. God has promised to bless us and to make us fruitful toward His purposes in this world. As Christians, we need to stand back and take seriously the words of our Lord. No one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and your money. If it all comes from God, then we are freed to stop giving our worship to the things of this world and to give our worship to God alone, knowing that He will grant us what we need. The idols of the people of the land demanded cruel practices, such as the one I mentioned earlier of sacrificing their children. And I just want to tell us this morning, our idols often require similar cruelty. Our idols require at our hands similar cruelty for nothing, not even the life of a child is allowed to stand in the way of our personal and corporate thriving. But God would not have His people worshiping idols to secure their thriving, but demanded a singular commitment to His worship as the God who alone provides what we really need in this world. Everything you have comes from God. Amen, people of God. So like Israel, we're called to trust that as we travel toward the ultimate land of promise, God will provide for us. And this truth is meant to keep us from turning to idols, which only make us rebellious toward the Lord and cruel toward our neighbors. And so the question for us this morning is, are we trusting God for provision or are we trusting in something else? How, how many of us, to, to soothe our troubles, turn to addictions rather than to the Lord who promises to comfort our souls in times of trouble? I was reading a book the other day that spoke about the rise in opioid addiction for men and women, and it referenced a rise for both, but an even greater rise for men in particular. And it noted that unlike some other drug use, all of which is bad, opioid use was more about numbing pain, not just physical, but mental and emotional as well. And this may seem an extreme example to you, but it is when life is pressing in on us that we often turn to idols for help. It's when life is pressing in on us that we often turn to whatever our favorite idol is for help. It's when, it is when the enemy is at the door that we are quick to, 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 to search for alliances with the world and its false gods. But God promises to provide the things that our idols claim to provide, but who only do so through the oppression of others. God is the source of all our good, whereas our idols are only the source of what is evil. So, so my question for you is, is life pressing in on you anywhere? If so, where are, you, where are you being tempted to turn away from God and turn toward an idol? I want to tell you that God is speaking to you this morning. I'm telling you not to turn there. When the enemy of greed is at the door, don't make an alliance with it. When the enemy of violence is at the door, don't make an alliance with it. Don't turn to sexual morality. Don't turn to hatred. Don't turn to self-centeredness. Turn away from these things toward the God 
who instead provides everything for us so that we don't have to worship the idols of this world. Anybody out there know what I'm talking about? You know, some people need to hear this stuff. Not New City. <laughs> so maybe you could take this to those other folk who need to hear this this week. God's, God's presence is with us along the journey. His provision is with us along the journey as well so that we will not turn to the idols of this world. But I want to talk about one last thing, God's present. And I'm using the word present because it has a P, so that they're all P's. But I really mean gift right? God's gift. As we travel along this journey, we are reminded that this land of promise that God has laid out for us is received as a gift. What we see in these verses is that final truth about God, about how God's people would come into possession of the promised land. And I just want to read this to you and remind you of, 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 of what God says here. He, he says to, to His people, beginning at verse 31, and I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. The people of Israel would not come into possession of the promised land because of their military might. And they would not come into possession of it because they were stronger than the nations before them, in front of them. Indeed, many of the battles to take possession of the land are won in ways that made it clear that it was not Israel, but God, the Lord, who was overthrowing the nations in the land as He had promised to do. I mean, even on the way… Even on the way toward the promised land, they had won a battle through Moses' arms being held up. When his arms were raised, they were winning, and when his arms drooped, they were losing. I mean, stuff like that. And God says very clearly here that He will drive out the inhabitants of the land. So, it's not, it's not military might that will allow them to take possession of the land. It's not, it's not intelligence. It's not skill. Oh, by the way, it's, it's also not moral and spiritual goodness either. Israel isn't taking possession of the land because the Canaanites are bad and Israel's good. No, the same sin that corrupts those nations was also to be found in Israel. That's why God will warn them later that if they act like the people they are displacing and do in the land the same things that those nations did, God will displace them as well, kick them out of the land. A discipline that comes to fruition, right, in the exile. So, so what, is this, what, what is this progressive possessing of the land that we find in verses 29 and 30 and this setting of the borders of the land in verse 31? What is it rooted in? It's all grace. This is, this is the grace of the covenant of God with His people, a grace spoken centuries earlier to there and now our forefather Abraham, a grace now bound up in our faith in Jesus and in the promise, not just for a, of, of, of a piece of land, but the whole world. The, the land would be theirs as a, as a gift, and the inheritance of this world would be ours as a gift. Indeed, it all began that way, didn't it? 
God set Adam and Eve in a garden in the world that he had created, giving them dominion over the works of his hands. Adam and Eve didn't make nothing. Their voices didn't part the waters, didn't create animals, didn't create moon and stars and sun and the worlds upon worlds. They weren't even there on the first days of creation. Their dad did all the work and then gave them the keys and said, take care of it. And no sooner than they got the keys, they crashed the car. And so here God is again in Exodus, giving to his people something they did not create, a land they did not cause to flourish, a land they did not till, houses they did not build, water they did not produce. Again, here are the keys. Take care of it. And you know how the story goes. The, the car was, that car was crashed too, such that God had to displace them from the land. And you know how the story goes. Israel made it to the land, but they wrecked that responsibility as well. But glory be to God and the marvel of His grace. There is a son who knows how to drive, so to speak, who knows how to take care of what his father has created, a son who has the power to transform those other sons and daughters into what they were created to be. This son has delivered us from our sin and from the penalty of our sins, which is that this son has delivered us from our wrecked lives and from what we have wrecked in this world. And this son has brought us back into our calling to be stewards over what belongs to God. And this son keeps giving grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to people who do not deserve it so that he might bring you into the land that he has promised from all eternity, a world in which righteousness and goodness will dwell. It is because of that son's faithfulness to his father that you and I will inherit and inherit again what we wrecked. I wish I had some witnesses in the house this morning. I wish… I had some people who, 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 were, who were grateful for an obedient son, grateful for his son who loved you, even though you messed up his father's world, and who promises one day to bring you to a home that he has prepared for you. Amen, people of God. Not by the works of your hands, but as a gift of His grace, a renewed and transformed world which comes as a gift of God's grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what that truth should do? It should humble us, and it should fill us with gratitude toward God. This is the truth, the truth of God's grace to undeserved sinners, undeserving sinners, that should cause us to say amen.
that, could, that should cause us to thank God. This is the truth that should fill our lips with praise, that should cause our hands to clap, that, that should cause our feet to stomp, that, that should cause us to wave our arms. This is the truth that, that should motivate, motivate us to care for God's world and for the people He created to live in it. God's grace is amazing because it saved us from our sin, and it's amazing because it restored us to our call to be stewards over the creation of God. It's amazing because it has turned rebels into sons and daughters. It's amazing because those sons and daughters will once again and now in Christ rule over what God has made. Grace Grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sins. The day is coming where, where we will see His face in a world that has been transformed and renewed by His grace. And so we should sing marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe, all who are longing to see His face. Will you this moment His grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. And some of you come this, here this morning. And you're thinking, I crashed the car again, God. I didn't care well for something or for someone you entrusted to me. And so I repent and I ask for your grace to change where I need to and to heal the wounds I've caused. To you, God, responds, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. All you who are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? Like Israel, we are on a journey toward a promised land. Only the land we're headed toward is this whole world, <laughs> renewed, transformed by the work of Jesus, who died to save us and to make this world new, to make it a place where God will dwell with his people forever. This is our destiny as Christians, and it's the destiny of the creation. How will we make it? How will we make it to that place that Jesus has prepared for us? We will make it through the presence of our God with us on this journey, through the provision of our God for us on this journey, and through His grace granting to us what our hands have not made. It's all ours in Christ Jesus. If you ain't got nothing else to rejoice about, you should rejoice about that. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you praise this morning because that city that Abraham was looking to, that city whose builder and maker is God, that city is coming because of what you have done for us. Indeed, you have already saved us. You have set that hope before us, same hope you set before your disciples, that you were going to prepare a place for them, that where, they, that where you were, they would also be. 
That promise is not just for them, it's a promise also to us, all of us who have our faith in you. Revelation 21 makes it clear that the heavens and the earth will be transformed, that the city of God will come down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. Thank you for that promise, Lord, which is in front of every single one of us who have our faith in Jesus. And what that enables us to do is live our lives in this world with the confidence that your presence will be with us, your provision will be with us, and your grace will be with us as you carry us toward that ultimate promised land. Give your people hope as they look out at the world and see its brokenness, as they look inside themselves and see their brokenness. Give them the hope that that day is coming where they will see you face to face and where you will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thank you that you're bringing, to us, bringing us to a place where there is no more death, no more mourning, no more weeping. We rejoice in the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the means through which we inherit that world to come. So bless us now as we celebrate what he has done for us and as we feed our faith and our souls again on the good news of the message of the gospel of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ for our sake. We pray and ask this in his name. Amen.